Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about the current regulatory system for firearms and whether there should be any changes in it, either federally or on the state level. We have uh, four guests. There are three guests with us in the studio. We're going to have two more guests join us. That would be a total of five. Uh, But the the studio guests are Ken Campbell. He's the Boone County Sheriff and is vice president of the Indiana Sheriff's Association. Ed Deckard is here. He has owned Four Seasons Gun Shop in Bloomington with his family for about eight years. And Les Linkowski is with us. He's an IU SPIA professor who studies funding streams behind nonprofits. Uh, if you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow the show on Twitter at noon edition. Hi, Bob. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's good to have Les back. We're going to need to call you a special correspondent of some kind. We're happy to have you here. Thanks for being here. Yes, and thanks to both Ken and Ed for being here in the studio. I should say also about 1220, we're going to be joined by Ashley Varner who is a lobbyist for the NRA and a spokeswoman for gun shows, including the big one in in Indianapolis last weekend. And uh, also after our break, we'll have Andrea Spiegelberg with us. She's an organizer of uh, one of the – she's co-chapter head of One Million Moms for Gun Control in Indianapolis. So we've got a lot of, a lot of great people with us today. Uh, I want to start off by um, asking – uh, both uh, Ed and and Ken to talk about you know the the whole issue of gun control and and whether and of course after the the Sandy Hook shooting it's really blown up into a a big issue. Uh, Sheriff, are there things that you think can be done to change the regulations that would be effective and and reasonable? I think there's effective and reasonable regulation in place now. There's over twenty thousand laws on the books now uh, to regulate firearms and people. Uh, the, the bigger issue here is the people. It's not the tool uh, that's created the problem here. It's it's the person, and, and in the vast majority of these incidents, it has to do with our mental health system and those, those folks that are mentally ill, and I think that's where the focus needs to be. Okay. Ed, how about you? I believe that's correct with what Ken has said. I, we have a lot of rules that a lot of the background, a lot of the research that they do when I phone in someone, if we had our availability of the mental background check that can be done, that we could catch these guys before they get a hold of the tool at that time, then I think we could control it better. Mm-hmm. Pardon my ignorance, but I don't know, is do you have to, is there a background check for somebody buying a small handgun, as well as somebody who's interested in something more considered to be more lethal, which I guess all things are relative, but a more lethal like a, an assault weapon? There, there is not. There is a form, and I brought forms with me today that you must fill out mm-hmm. if you've come to the shop to purchase either a handgun or a long gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we fill this form out, then at that time we call our next check-in, and once we call that in, they tell us to either proceed, delay, or deny Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a further review, it could be, you know, five days before you actually could receive the firearm itself. Uh, we're only a class one dealer. We don't deal with class three or anything that would be in a silencer or in a full auto. So with these checks, they decide whether you receive or whether I hold it or whether I deny you. So mm-hmm. if, they, if you hold it, you say, hey, they're going to check your record more closely, check back with me in five days to see if you can purchase this firearm. Yes. They okay. could also call me by the end of the business day, the next day, and release the gentleman or lady that has filled out this form, and I could call you or whomever at that time and say come, you could come and pick your firearm up. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, Wes, I know you're not you aren't necessarily an expert in, in gun laws or anything like that, but your research has been in uh, nonprofits, including organizations that are either lobbying for or against firearm controls. 
correct? That's correct. And, and what have you found? Well, I mean, we have a long history of this, and um, you know, there's some. Uh, obviously, we're going to go through a period where, on both sides of this issue, there will be um, a lot of uh, money coming in. Mayor Michael Bloomberg of New York, for example, has been very conspicuous recently in giving large amounts of money to um, organizations promoting uh, more restrictive gun regulations. The NRA and other groups have a very large following of small donors, more than large donors, and we'll be seeing that play out. It's always been that way. That's sort of the way democracy works. The um, interesting issue to me is uh, what voices aren't going to be heard or are going to have a harder time being heard. Uh, and while the gun control question is certainly a part of uh, the story, there's another big part which has to do with mental health okay. and mental health issues. And uh, it's what worries me is that though the groups that are concerned about that, uh, individual legislators or administrators may not be heard as much in this debate as the folks on either side of the gun gun issue. President Obama addresses this in his proposals, but it's a very small part of what he proposed. There have been some governors, such as uh, Governor Hickenlooper of Colorado, who have been uh, out front on this. But it, uh, the mental health side of the story also needs to be heard in this debate. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat on WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Here's a comment that came in from uh, one of our commenters on, on live chat. It says, is it somehow possible to make our guns just stun, quote unquote, instead of kill? I think Star Trek had it right when they could set their phasers to stun. (laughs) (laughs) You don't sell anything like that, do you, Ed? No. (laughs) Let me me kind of address that. I've spent uh, the last 20-plus years going about the country shooting, uh, teaching shooting. Uh, And these things of I'll shoot the gun out of his hand – is something you see on television, mm-hmm. and we all know anything we see on television or read on the internet is absolute gospel <laughs> truth. Right. Um, Glad you didn't say the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's one of those fallacies in there. Now, I, I have a taser on my belt right now. It's a less lethal alternative, but it's one of the many tools. I also have handcuffs. I have a pistol. I, I have a baton. So in, in a force continuum, if I want to make sure I have the right tool that's available. Mm -hmm. If you are are using deadly force against me, my family, a loved one as an individual, or another person as a police officer, um, I want to make sure that I stop you. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to to kill you. I'm trying to use that force necessary to stop you. If it happens to be a firearm as opposed to a baton and it ends up taking your life – that wasn't my intent. My intent was to stop you from causing that serious bodily injury, harm, or death to that that other innocent person. Well, nobody wants to be the guy bringing a knife to a gunfight. Well, We've heard that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you could look at it that way. But again, a knife is is deadly force. Also, if you approach me and threaten me with a knife, um, I don't have to use a knife to defend myself. I don't have to be on the same plane. Mm-hmm. Rather, I'm going to use a firearm uh, if that's available to me because I want to be able to stop that threat. Again, the the uh, what you see on TV where the good guy wearing the white hat blocks the knife thrust with one, one blow and disarms the fellow, uh, they've never been in a real fight. Yeah. It's yeah. a very dynamic situation, and you want that fight to stop as quickly and efficiently as you can with the least amount of injury to yourself, to the innocent folks, and, and then to the bad guy. Now, I don't want to digress too much, but don't tasers have proximity issues? Right, 21 feet. 21 feet, okay. Now, now there are some other extended range tasers, but again, it I, I, I was big in the pepper spray when it first came out. And I, as a trainer, I've sprayed thousands of people. I don't mean I've misted the room. I sprayed you in the face till I was satisfied you were, you could feel the full effects. And part of that was so that the officer could realize they can still defend their gun to some extent. Pepper spray is, is not all the answer. A taser is not all the answer. Some folks um, are... are uh, resistant to pain. We've all heard the story. Boy, he's so drunk, he's feeling no pain. Or they're so high, or they're so mean, or they're so motivated. 
1986, the FBI got in a terrible shootout down in Miami. And early on in the gunfight, one of the two bad guys took a non-survivable 9-millimeter silver tip round through his chest cavity into the bottom part of his heart. It was a later said as a non-survivable wound. He carried on in that fight for two to three minutes. He killed several agents until he died. He wasn't high. He wasn't drunk. He was mean and motivated. So uh, while a taser is a useful tool for me to have, it's not a response to lethal, lethal force. If I use my taser, I want to if someone does have a knife, in your example, if I go to use my taser, I want to have another officer there, another trained person there with deadly force. So in the event my taser fails, I can't escalate if I need to. But if it's you and I, I'm going to meet deadly force with deadly force. All right. We have a phone call. Let's go to Stan on the phone. Stan? Hi. Um, it's, it's nice to hear an officer talking plain, plain language. I'm, I'm appalled when I read about assaults on officers and as far as I'm concerned, an assault on a, on, a, on a public official of that sort is, to me, uh, tantamount to, to attempted murder. And I am also very upset that what used to be hunting and target shooting has has become uh, quasi-military uh, stealth uh, w- w- weaponing. I I, uh, I don't know. What's happened to our culture, but it, it could be because there are too many city people and not enough country people who are teaching younger people to shoot the way uh, I was taught. I had been an early NRA member, and of course, in the service I was taught. But the idea of safety and prudence seems to be out the window. There's some great opportunities out there for young people. Uh, 4-H shooting sports is there. Uh, I know at the Boone County Sheriff's Firearm Range in the spring, uh, they had record numbers last year. Were 400 kids through the program again. There's the Appleseed Project out there, and and what uh, the NRA has the Eddie Eagle program. There's some great opportunities out there to teach these young Americans uh, responsibility. And if you can teach them to be responsible with a firearm, they're more apt to be responsible dating with a car, uh, with pharmaceuticals, with with life in general, and and that's what's key here. And, and I think all that is out there. It's just there's a lot of media attention right now on uh, the spin of that guns are evil and these are evil black uh, assault guns. And I don't use that term because I have a hard time defining what an assault weapon truly is. So I think there's a lot out there that spins it that way, but. The, the main focus is there is a lot of great things going on with our youth and teaching them to do these things properly and responsibly. Mm-hmm. Les? You know, the caller used the word culture a minute ago, and the sheriff just used that great word responsibility. Yes. Um, and this points us again toward the larger context of what we're talking about here, which we live in a culture where young people have access to all sorts of video games, television, internet, the whole culture itself, uh, rap music and so forth, that's sending out um, not always very uh, good uh, signals of what's desirable or what other people are do- are doing. Uh, now, I, I'm not suggesting that, you know, the ordinary teenager is going to say, yeah, because I see this in a video game, I'll do it. But when you ha- the power of suggestion is particularly powerful among, say, uh, people who have other issues in their lives and are looking for something to connect with. And unless we really get on top of that as well and reinforce a sensible culture, uh, the value of responsibility, uh, ultimately what we do in public policy – it's going to be very limited. We who teach public policy know that laws and rules only go so far. There's some great research out there by uh, Colonel Dave Grossman. He's a uh, West Point grad, retired Army colonel, and he goes around lecturing as to issues just as just as uh, uh, Les was speaking of here. So I would really invite you to uh, to look and study some of Colonel Grossman's work when it comes to the culture of the video games and and sort of what we're enticing some of these. Uh, youth to to focus on. All right. Thanks a lot to Stan for his call. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington area, wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to join a live chat. Oh, oh I, I wanted to follow up if you if No, uh, go ahead, Bob. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the whole 
idea of, of any gun control laws, President Obama's recommendations that came through the Joe Biden committee. I mean, there are a number of things. As you, you all have sort of outlined, this is a pretty complex issue in some ways. Um, I wanted to ask Ed and, and Ken and then Ashley when we get her on the phone here in a minute um, about the idea of background checks. As Ed says, he's required to do background checks. And Ashley, hopefully, will be able to talk a little bit more about uh, gun shows. But, you know, one of the ideas that the Obama administration has put forth is to extend background checks to to private sales, sales that happen maybe at gun shows. Your reactions to, to that, Ed? Uh, I believe that background checks at gun shows are a good thing. I, I see there's possibilities uh, my beliefs, there's possibilities that a gentleman could be put in jail for beating his wife on a Thursday and go to a gun show on a Saturday and buy a gun. Mm-hmm. He really can. Mm-hmm. And I believe there should be background checks. I believe there should be control. We, I've taken my children and taught them from a very early age what it was to respect a loaded firearm you go to a friend's house, they get daddy's gun out, you leave the house. Uh, we're called Four Seasons Gun Shop because we're a hunting and shooting store. There's four seasons of hunting. We shot, the wife and I have shot at IU Skeet Range when it was available for many years. I've, I've loved guns my entire life. But background checks are a very necessary thing. I think they can be improved. And we still, there are so many laws on the book that when I see things like that, I think, wow, how can they get away with that? Because you can go to a gun show and can purchase a handgun, and you can leave with that handgun with no one to check you. We, we have Ashley Varner on the line now. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, Ashley is a spokeswoman for gun shows, and she is also, um, let's see, what is your title? State liaison for the National Rifle Association and a promoter for the Indianapolis Gun Show. So um, you heard Ed, that was Ed Deckard, who owns uh, Four Seasons Gun Shop. I just asked a question about about uh, background checks and whether there is the need to uh, do something different for gun shows. And I wanted to get your reaction to that. And also, you can maybe explain to us how, how it works now. Well, sure. When you go to a gun show, and I perhaps some men don't like this, but I kind of liken a gun show to a craft show for boys. Um, it, it's really an event where people can come together. They're celebrating not only their Second Amendment rights, but also their First Amendment rights. Uh, you have booths of firearm retailers, all of which have to follow state, local, and federal laws, that means every firearm they sell at a gun show has to go through a background check. Essentially, you have retailers bringing their store uh, inventory to a gun show. They have to pay to set up there, and every person who purchases from them goes through a background check. Now, that probably comprises easily between 90 and 95 percent of all sales at gun shows. Some people bring their firearms to a gun show to try to sell it to either a retailer, in which case it would go through a background check, or meeting and talking with other firearm enthusiasts who are attending the show who then engage in a private sale between two people, much like you would sell your car to a person. Uh, Those are the vast minority of all purchases made at gun shows, and so this whole this whole idea that gun shows must have every single firearm purchase made go through a background check is a complete misunderstanding and misnomer of what goes on at gun shows. Ashley, if I sell my car to this is Mary Catherine. Hi, Ashley. If I okay. sell my car to another person, though, uh, the state tracks that sale. I have to present a title. They have to go to the BMV. There's a paper trail, so the the state keeps track of, of that transaction. Doesn't this process of selling person to person at a gun show completely circumvent any kind of paper trail? Again, the, well, the sale of a firearm is encased in our Second Amendment rights. Our Constitution specifically enumerates the right to own, possess, purchase, and have firearms. You don't have an enumerated right to purchase or own a vehicle 
enumerated in the Constitution. If you go to a gun show, you will find that the place is swarming with security, with undercover police officers, with uniformed officers, with off-duty police. The ATF is there monitoring, walking around, keeping check of everything. This is not a place where criminals feel comfortable going. It's not a place where they frequent because there are so many police officers and military and federal agents there. That's not where they go to get their gun shows. And FBI crime statistics have found that less than 1% of all criminals ever use guns that were purchased in gun shows. They steal them from other people who went through the correct process. Ashley, um, Ken Campbell, the Boone County Sheriff, is here with us. He, I think he had a comment to make about this. Uh, absolutely. And I have to concur with Ashley. And, and uh, uh, um, the firearm is a right and an, an inalienable right. The vehicle is something that is not. It is driving is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Your, your driver's license is a privilege. You just can't jump in your car and drive. So there's a difference there. There's also Indiana code prohibiting sale or transfer of, uh, to firearms to improper people. So if I sell you in a private sale a, a firearm and you are an improper person, I have violated the law. So there's already laws. You know, I said there were 20,000-plus laws in place. I've already violated the law. And a simple way of me, a simple check for me, for instance, if I would sell you a, a pistol or a rifle or a shotgun, hey, can I take a look at your gun permit? Mm-hmm. And if you have a, a, a valid gun permit, you're a proper person. You've passed all those checks, and, and I know I'm good here. Criminals don't buy their guns at Four Seasons, at... The Indy 1500 Gun and Knife Show, they don't buy them there, as well as they're, bu- they're probably a felon anyway. There are, they don't care if they violate another law. So are you saying then that the, this, the, the horses have already left the barn on this and, and it's beyond – any law is not going – there aren't going to be any regulations that can have a positive impact on this situation? I'm saying we enforce what we have now. Mm-hmm. Specifically – any, Let, everything. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's enforce what we have in place now, adding more that simply take away if, – if, if I have five kids in my family and one of them dents the car, do I take the car away from all of them? I don't. I want to punish the one that violated the family rules. That's what I need to do. So I just need to be a responsible parent and stand up and, and enforce those rules there. Mm-hmm. I'm a responsible American. Why should I be punished because a mentally ill person or a criminal committed a crime violating yet another law? I've got room in my jail. If they, are, if they have broken the law, I'll find space for them. All right. We've got several callers and um, Gretchen, several writers we, as well. If we could get to John first, who wants to ask, ask Ashley a question. Yeah, thank you. Ashley, I have a question for you. I'm looking at uh, one of the previous sponsors of uh, Gun Appreciation Day, uh, and they only came to light because reporters found them on the list of sponsors. Um, I don't know who the other sponsors are, and first I'd like to find a way to find a list of who the sponsors are, but the one that you had to jettison just before is a group called the American Third Position. I'm uh, in front of my computer looking at their website mission statement and they are basically a group that say the they are a group that are proponents of furthering the position of whites in America they say parts of our beautiful country now resemble third world communi- third world communities in Latin America Africa and Asia white people are already a minority in many cities and counties etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't think i need to go on because you don't have to go to fringe elements on the web you have even um, conservatives like Ann Coulter say in America has a demographic problem, not a gun problem. And guns don't kill people. Non-white people kill people. Those are, those are statements from people like Ann Coulter. My question is, do you have any interest in, and if you do, how do you distance yourself from these kind of people and continue to portray yourself as good old hunting and fishing law-abiding citizens? And also, why does somebody need a gun that fires 30 rounds in a few seconds? All right, Ashley, we're going to give you a chance to respond. Sure. Uh, several things in, in that comment with your caller. Um, first of all, I 
disregard the notion entirely that people who go to gun shows or firearm enthusiasts have to apologize for every individual group who might be involved in a nationwide organization. That Gun Appreciation Day had nothing to do with the Indy 1500 Gun and Knife Show. The people who decided to join and help sponsor it, I don't speak for Gun Appreciation Day. I don't know anything about that group. But I also don't have to apologize or disavow myself from the fact that they happen to agree with the Second Amendment. Just like I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect every Democrat to have to apologize for the Occupy movement. Uh, those people were violent. They were dirty. They broke laws in cities around the state or cities around the country. But I wouldn't call on every Democrat to disavow them and hold every Democrat responsible for the acts of the Occupy movement. All right. Uh, um, go to, ahead. to the notion that somebody doesn't need a firearm that can shoot more than 30 rounds, thank God, and I mean that, thank God we don't live in a country that was based on a bill of needs. We have a document that is based on the Bill of Rights. I have a right as a law-abiding citizen, as a person who has never perpetrated crime, to own whatever firearm I choose. Well, I understand that, and I wish, I think now that that, that that statement's out in the open, maybe we can all agree to stop um, aligning uh, President Obama with people that he took college courses from. And uh, maybe we can move the debate forward a little bit. But I got to say, I'm not very hopeful. John, thanks a lot. We we appreciate the call. All right. Uh, I think we're going to have to go to a break right now. We have a lot of people on the phone, but we're going to go to a break. If Ashley could hang on maybe for a minute or two. No, afterward? I'd be happy to. Okay. Well, well, let me me ask you one question before you go, because I think we're going to have to move on. I do want to ask about the the, – Ed talked about – you know how he would support um, gun or or having background checks at, for everybody at gun shows. And you know, you said ninety to ninety five percent of people are already um, dealers who have to do the background check. So why not just make sure that every transaction there involves a background check? Because you're still talking about law abiding people. You're still talking about people exercising their first and second amendment rights who are no danger to anyone else. And the people who go to gun shows to try to sell their firearms are individuals who are not in the business of selling and purchasing firearms. They, they sell an occasional gun if they inherit one and don't want it, or they have an extra firearm, and maybe in this economy they'd rather sell it and get some money for their family. Those people are not in the business. They do not make a profit off of selling firearms. If they do, they must be federally licensed. But... There's no way to even track or to implement and and control every single person who might in some way inherit a firearm and want to sell it to an uncle or to a friend or to someone that they meet and engage with and, and find that they're a good person and a responsible citizen. There is no way to implement that and really be able to track it. And I find it very interesting that this administration would want background checks on every single private individual who wants to conduct a private sale uh, coming from them when they let thousands of firearms go to Mexican drug cartels uh, without bothering to track them. That's pretty rich. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Ashley. We appreciate uh, having you on the show. We're going to take a a short break, and uh, you're listening to New Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading our podcast directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. 
Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. We have uh, three guests in the studio, Ken Campbell, the Boone County Sheriff and Vice President of the Indiana Sheriff's Association. Ed Deckard has owned Four Seasons Gun Shop in Bloomington with his family for about eight years. Les Linkowski, an IU SPIA professor who studies funding streams behind nonprofits, including uh, Bloomberg's Mayors Against Illegal Gun Groups and other uh, against illegal guns and other groups. Uh, and also, we're going to be joined shortly by Andrea Spiegelberg, who's co-chapter head of One Million Moms for Gun Control Indianapolis. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can join our live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're going to go to George, who's been on the line for a long time. George? Yes. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, I'd like to make a comment uh, which about people saying that uh, movies and video games uh, contribute to this uh, problem. <clears throat> I lived in Europe for 10 years. They have exactly the same movies and video games that we have, and yet the murder rate is one-tenth of our murder rate. It, it has nothing to do with movies and video games. The only difference is the availability of the arms. Thank you. All right. Um, we're going to go to Les for a reaction to that. Yeah, no, I don't think movies and video games by themselves are are the problem, but they're symptomatic of larger issues about a culture that uh, uh, really uh, does not encourage people to act responsibly, that uh, esteems people who will commit violent activities. And to the suggestible, these can have an effect. There have been several studies of this. We're all familiar with the studies of obscenity and pornography, which basically conclude that uh, repeated watching of um, or, or, or consuming of pornographic materials really does have a psychological effect. The evidence isn't quite as clear about violence. Watching the NFL every weekend doesn't necessarily make you a violent person. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a, a good question. I see that President Obama, as part of his package, is asking the CDC to do more research, and I hope they will do research on these kinds of questions. Okay. I, I don't think that uh, figure that uh, George uh, commented on is correct, because I think Britain has a, uh, a higher rate of violence than South Africa and the U.S., and they have draconian gun laws there. As a matter of fact, if if a uh, miscreant breaks into your home, again, in Britain, they're subjects, not citizens, unlike our, our republic. But if a, if a miscreant breaks in your home, you're to submit. If you use force of violence to protect your, your home, your, your family, yourself, you're apt to be prosecuted there. But I believe the, the statistics in Europe are, are – that is not a correct fact. Okay. We have uh, Andrea Spiegelberg, who's joining us by phone now. Hi, Andrea. Hi. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Um, no wanted to ask you about your organization, the One Million Moms for Gun Control Indianapolis. I know you have an event coming up, correct? Uh, yeah, we do. And Ken Campbell is actually my sheriff. I'm from Boone County, so <laughs> wait right. for Boone County to represent. It'd be um, nice to meet you sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, One Million Moms for Gun Control was uh, formed about six weeks ago. Shannon Watts, who is also a member of Zionsville, um, that was at a, a point where she felt like something had to be done in terms of um, not ha not giving access to guns to the wrong people. And um, so we have grown um, since that time, and it's really been driven by social media at this point, to 75 chapters um, across the country, and there is a, a march actually in D.C., um, uh, March on Washington and One Million Moms for Gun Control March. Um, and we are having an event actually um, just to support the March in D.C. Uh, in uh, downtown Indianapolis. But we, uh, our organization is really, really focused on action. We know there's you know, more than um, there's 80 million, 80 million mothers in the United States, and among those, there are there are mothers who who want to do something, have this urge to do something, and so our efforts are really in reaching out to our legislatures about um, various um, 
gun legislation, if you will. It's not about banning all guns, not about the Second Amendment. We are extremely focused on um, actually some of the issues that were raised by President Obama's executive orders. So what, so what specifically are you, uh, are you most interested in having done? Um, we are most interested in having a ban on military-style um, assault weapons, ammunition magazines of more than 10 rounds, requiring background checks for all gun purchases, um, reporting large quantities of uh, the sale of large quantities of ammunition to the ATF. I know that is done um, to some effect currently, um, and limiting the scope of concealed weapons laws um, at the state level. And although some of these issues are national, many of these issues differ state by state, um, as you all know. So uh, a lot of our chapters are really taking action um, at the state government level. All right. I want Ed to uh, respond about the about the um, uh, ammunition, or no, the, if, if you ha- have a, a gun sale of a great quantity, do you have to report that to the ATF? I do with the, with the handguns. Mm-hmm. Any more than, or two or more, I have to file out, fill out two forms. One goes to the ATF and one goes to the state police. Mm-hmm. So if you come in and purchase three handguns, I fill out an extra form, and at that time, I fax to the ATF, and then I also fax to the state police to inform them that you have purchased more than one. Mm-hmm. And if you purchase one and then you go, I believe it's five days, and you purchase another, I have to fill that form out and send that in also. Mm-hmm. What about long guns? Is there any form? Long guns, there's not. Okay, so you, you could go in and buy as many rifles as you wanted to. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit confused, but first of all, um, we offer some great training opportunities at Boone County Sheriff's Office as to firearms training, and I certainly would, Andrea, would invite you to come see me so I can I can come educate you in, in some, uh, uh, see what some good responsible firearms owners and, and what oh, we're doing I, there. Oh, I would love that. My father-in-law so, is a very um, so. avid... Please visit our webpage, BooneCountyIndianaSheriff.com. There's a training link there, and my our training there is going crazy. Mm-hmm. But what my as to so many people wanting it, my question is: just a few minutes ago, you said you're not in favor of banning anything, and then in your almost next breath, you said, "But then we want to ban military-style weapons, magazines greater than ten rounds." Right. So I, I, I'm confused there. Uh, you don't want to ban except the things you want to ban. Right. I think the the confusion is it's not. There are organizations that exist that want to ban all guns, that people should not have guns. That is not our stance. Our stance is that there should be some limit or um, order to the types of, of arms that you can have. I cannot have a surface-to-air missile. That, that's apples and oranges. A well, missile, a, a missile and a bazooka is, is entirely <laughs> I mean, different. And there, it's like so, class three weapons, a select fire weapon, a machine right. gun, if you will, is heavily regulated exactly. uh, by the government. It has been since 1934. Right. Uh, in, in this case, uh, again, I, the other part of it comes into how do you define a military-style weapon? Well, and I think um, we're experiencing that now with um, Senator Feinstein's um, legislation. It's very hard to do, and it it differs um, from organization to organization. Um, And our thing is we're not about banning all guns. We're not saying that we're a bunch of pacifists and no one should have firearms. That that is the differentiator there. Um, Are there some common-sense solutions to keeping um, guns out of the wrong people, people's hands? Yes. And and uh, as to the ten round magazine, I don't use the term high capacity magazine because a uh, uh, for instance an AR fifteen it was designed for a twenty and thirty round magazine, so that's a standard capacity magazine for that weapon. The, the pistol I have on right now standard capacity was seven rounds when it was designed in nineteen eleven. So uh, high capacity is. I guess is in the eye of the beholder. The other part of it is, and again, I've spent a good part of my adult life training uh, good people, uh, ranging oh, yeah. from the little old lady who's a door greeter at Walmart to some of our nations and friendly nations, special forces folks. Um, I can't tell you how many rounds it will take to stop that miscreant who kicks in your door and is trying to get to the most precious person in your life. And I, I have a hard time saying, well, if I'd how, how can you say I can only have 10 rounds to do that as opposed to a 12-round pistol or a 15-round pistol? I don't know how many to- what it's going to take to stop some evil miscreant from doing this great harm to my, my loved one. Right. And exactly. And we don't know whether you will be able to stop them. 
But I want that opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. I don't want to just be there and think, I wish I would have done something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this, this conversation reminds me of something we easily overlook, that the first victim of the shooter up in Connecticut was his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, moms are often on the front lines of dealing with uh, these very difficult and probably, you know, psychologically ill uh, ch- older children. Uh, the in this case, the mother and her and the boy's father were separated. She was it in terms of this boy's life, and it's very difficult. And I would hope that the work of the million moms and other groups. They'd pay some attention to the importance of providing supports for family members and especially mothers in having to deal with these very difficult children. Oh, definitely. And, um, you know, we're a six-week-old organization, and uh, we have a, um, you know, some points that we're focused on now. Obviously, that's going to change um, over the next several months, and, and there are lots of different issues that are extremely important um, to this topic and definitely to the debate. Andrea, uh, I'll throw in one other thing here for you. Um, as your sheriff... I will invite you to my ladies-only pistol class as my guest. No tuition. I'll provide your equipment. But I'd like you to come spend a weekend with us so you can get um, some education from our, our perspective of it also. And so we can be in touch once I get back in Boone yeah. County. I have handled a gun before. so. <laughs> Andrea, uh, <laughs> Thank hold, you. Hold on. I, I've got a, we've got several phone calls and several people online that want to get on to the show. So okay. it looks like we have uh, Roger at the top of our list. Roger? Uh, yes. Um I've heard some some uh, statements today that I think need definitely need to be checked in um, the literature. Uh, I would recommend the book Private Guns, Public Health, published by University of Michigan Press, David Hemingway, H-E-M-E-N-W-A-Y. There's a lot of conflicting research, much of it done not academically, but um, by biased sources. Now, one thing I want to say to begin with, a well-regulated militia is the basis on which the Second Amendment rights are predicated. And we, what, everyone who had a gun was assumed to be a part of that militia. So we have a lot of people who are private gun owners, but who, according to the Second Amendment, they're still part of that well-regulated militia, but it's no longer well-regulated. We should have universal registration universal licensing, universal background checks. I'm saying this as a member of Hoosiers Concerned About Gun Violence. It's an organization we'll be glad to be allied with uh, a million moms, but it's been around 15 years, and everything it's done has been uh, checked through public health. And we've had members from, uh, the, uh, from IUPUI who have been very helpful. Um, the president of that group is a psychiatrist, Steve Dunlop, and I've asked him, would it help if we had universal background checks and we could keep all the mentally ill people from having a gun in their hands? And he says, not all mentally ill people are dangerous. You can't predict which ones are going to be dangerous, and you can't predict which ones of us, after we get a background check, are going to become mentally ill or dangerous. So... The book I just recommended, Private Guns, Public Health, by H-E-M-E-N-W-A-Y, gets into this as an issue of epidemiology. The NRA has had gun manufacturers who have created durable product, and they don't know how to sell more of them without scaring people into buying more and more guns, so we have an epidemic. The epidemiology can only be addressed by having fewer guns or less dangerous guns and safer storage of guns as well as the kind of okay. training that you just mentioned. Okay, Roger, we're going to have to cut you off there. We appreciate, yeah, well, appreciate your comments. All right. Who's just concerned about gun violence? All right. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to hold on to our comments here for a minute. We're going to go to Robert from Franklin. Robert's been waiting yeah. a long time too. Hello. Um uh, well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate the sheriff for uh, answering so well some of so many uh, rather stupid questions. But I mainly called. Uh, there's not been much attention given to the uh, the drugs that these mass shooters that we've recently had to experience were on or had just come off of. And uh, the side effects of a lot of those drugs are the things you're trying to prevent, like aggression, suicide, and and all this stuff. 
and half the kids in school are taking something, Ritalin or whatever. Uh, we, we've got a drug nation, and I think more attention should be given to the recognized people supposedly with mental problems and the treatment they're getting. That's where a lot of your shooters have come from. I'll listen. All right. Les, you have a comment for that? Yeah, I think it's a very important point because the uh, whole idea of uh, what we call deinstitutionalization letting um, mentally ill people um, live at home or in their communities goes way back to the 1960s when we started uh, using uh, pharmaceutical ways of controlling mental illness. But we did only part of that. We got rid of the old mental institutions, many of which deserved to have been gotten rid of, but we didn't really establish the kind of network of halfway houses and treatment centers that are essential for making sure not only that people are taking the the right drugs, as uh, the caller suggested, but where there are side effects, they can be managed properly, changes made, and so on. Those networks, and, and uh, uh, Les and I were talking a little bit about this before the class, those networks became homeless shelters and your county mm-hmm. jails, yeah, that's because right. sadly that, that's where those folks are. And, and uh, your sheriffs, again, thank you for the kind comments to me. I appreciate that. But sheriffs throughout the state of Indiana are good constitutional office holders who, who want to do the right thing for, for their public. Um, but as good as our jails can be, they are not mental hospitals and we strive to take care of all the folks to the best we can in there but it is a challenge to to take care of these mentally ill that were driven out of these hospitals mm-hmm. yeah robert right. thanks for your kind words uh, yeah let's go to uh andrea want to go back to you for a last comment we're gonna have to let you go in a minute or two here but we want to give you a chance to say anything else you want to say um, uh, no, I, I don't really have any additional comments. I'm, uh, thank you so much for having me be a okay. part of this conversation. I feel like it, it will continue. So, All right, thank thanks. Thanks to Andrea mm-hmm. Spiegelberg from the One Million Moms for Gun Control Indianapolis. And now we need to go to uh, Darren, I believe. Darren has been on the line a long time. Darren? Hi, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. The this, this show is kind of at the top of the hour talked about mental illness, and then you had to go through about almost an hour's worth of calls focusing on the instruments like guns. And a million mom person, again, is focusing on guns, not social conditions that may lead to the use of guns. I saw a Hawaiian 5.0 uh, just the other day as a repeat, and they had a gunman in Hawaii that was shooting up people. And it turns out that he was a mental patient. And this was 35 years ago that they talked about um, mental illness and how they're bounced in and out of mental illness hospitals. And one of the things that happened recently was... Uh, an effective tool seems to be interdiction. They had a case up in Cedar Lake where a guy was going to blow up a school, and they found out about it and stopped that. They had another person in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Oklahoma that was going to do something, and they stopped that. And recently in Bloomington, we had this, um, I'm sure he's mentally ill, was person on top of the parking garage. And they caught him with a bunch of guns and, and, and a very peculiar circumstance. So I wondered if the panel can discuss that, the interdiction methodology methodology in preventing violence. And it right. happened with the shooter in Connecticut because there was warning signs. So how, do we, how can we further the warning sign issue and interdiction with people that may be a possible threat? All right. I'm going to have to ask our panelists to keep your answers short. Thank you. Yeah, I would just say that um, President Obama's proposal includes uh, releasing a letter to health care providers saying that no federal law prohibits them from reporting threats of violence to law enforcement authorities. I think that's a good step on the president's part, but the question is whether it'll be challenged on civil liberties grounds, mm-hmm. and I expect it will be. Mm-hmm. I've got a comment here online from a mental health expert uh, who says, I wholeheartedly agree with addressing the weaknesses in our mental health systems. However, this is only part of the equation. A large part of the problem is that people who are committing homicides and suicides would never be flagged in a database to begin with. This turns its back on an access to an access issue. And I just lost my computer from battery, so sorry, I can't finish the <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just shut down completely. Uh, all right. Go how, ahead, how many tools do we try to take away? Do we take away the carbon monoxide? Again, someone who's trying to take their own life. A sad thing. I've been a policeman over 30 years, and I've been to many, many methods of suicide. Um, and I, I, I ch- am challenged to take away a right from a good, honest American to be able to hunt, shoot recreationally, or defend themselves because someone else has chosen to use that tool to uh, – 
take their own life. If we if we carry that out, then we should remove knives, baseball bats, uh, a, a combustion engines, uh, and, and so on. It's mm-hmm. that that's a slippery slope. Right. All right. We just have a few minutes to go, and I, I want to go back to a couple of the specific recommendations. And I know we've talked a little bit about them. Um, again, uh, I, I'm still feeling a little bit uh, confused about the background checks uh, at gun shows because, as you know, Ed Ed's sell, Ed sells guns. He does it for a living, and he ha- every gun he sells, there needs to be uh, a background check. So, sheriff. I just guess I'd turn to you again and say, why, if Ed has to perform background checks, shouldn't everybody who's selling a gun? Because it's a, a right to own the firearm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's very clear. It's an inalienable right. It's not a, a, something that's created legislatively. Our, our Constitution said these were inalienable rights. They are given by God. They are not granted by man. So I, I can sell this to you. But if you sell it, as an individual to an improper person, you're committing a crime. You're committing a crime today. So there are some simple steps you can take by simply saying, hey, can I see your gun permit? Mm-hmm. Can I make sure you're okay? Or if you're concerned, then go to Four Seasons, go to a licensed dealer and say, I'd like to pay you $30 or whatever the fee is to do, to do this transfer for me, and they will do that for you. Yes. So mm-hmm. there are options out there that are available. In this would also, if you would go into legislation like that, if grandma wants to give grandpa's hunting gun or pistol to grandson, they couldn't do that without going to find a dealer somewhere, paying the fees and so on, simply for an inheritance. Although there is the uh, the laws that I've seen or the discussions I've seen say there could be there could be exemptions for immediate members of the family. So we've taken care of. A, a small portion of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Again, these are inalienable rights. The same people that are in, in the First Amendment that you so carefully defend for your newspaper mm-hmm. are the same people in the Second, the Fourth, the Fifth, uh, all these amendments. So, again, we go back to that slippery slope. If right. we start taking only reading it for the people in this amendment, well, when do we apply that same restriction to the people in the First Amendment? Mm-hmm. Less anything? Yeah, I just want to make the point before we leave that this is not just a federal issue. It's a state and local issue as well, not only local enforcement, but a lot of our state mental health program program is done out of our state house. Mm-hmm. And really, uh, all of us ought to be looking to what Governor Pence and the new state legislature are thinking of doing here in Indiana. All right. We are out of time. I'm sorry. We, didn't we have to... been asked, though, to mention that yeah. uh, we're going to have some facts checked, and you can go to our website later this afternoon, and this discussion will continue. All right. We have several guests I want to thank. Ken Campbell, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being here from the Boone County Sheriff's Department. Ed Decker, the owner of Four Seasons Gun Shop. Ed, you were great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Les Linkowski, our regular guest, one of our regular guests, Les, thanks for being here, and we want to thank the people that joined us by phone, Ashley Varner and Andrea Spiegelberg. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, uh, our producers, Gretchen Frazee and Julie Raw, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.